Folks, if you want to keep your Bibles open there at 1 Peter 3, it might be helpful for you to have it in front of you. Uh, Let me lead us in prayer here. Heavenly Father, would you open our hearts and our minds now by the power of your Holy Spirit that as we consider your word, that we may hear with joy what you say to us this evening. Help us to respond then in our hearts to the call of Jesus. For we pray in his holy name. Amen. We're going to focus in particularly on a few verses just from this uh, lengthy passage here. Uh, But I want you to imagine a friend maybe asks you to meet for coffee one day because they have a question for you. So of course you agree, it's your friend. Uh, And when the time comes, you you turn up, you order your coffee, you maybe go and grab a seat. And after an initial bit of small talk about the weather or whatever, the question then comes to the surface. And they say to you what we've just read here in this passage. Can you give me a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus? Can you give me a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? I wonder... What would you say? What would your response be? Would you be ready to answer that question? That's what this passage in 1 Peter 3 here is leading us directly to tonight. I want to think very quickly about the context of this because it might be helpful for us. Chapter 2 and chapter 3 really flow into one another Uh, In fact, in the NIV, if you have it in front of you, chapter 3 does not, at the start, have its own title. It still falls under the title given in chapter 2, which is living godly lives in a pagan society. That tells you quite a lot there. This is a letter written to Christians who have been scattered everywhere, and Peter is clearly encouraging them to live for Christ wherever they are. So that is despite the surrounding pagan cultures where godliness is hard to come by and where certainly there was persecution. He's urging them then not to just simply go with the flow of the culture that they're in. He's encouraging them to stand out, to be different somehow, not to be shaped by societal values, but rather to be shaped by the gospel, to be shaped by the infallible word of God. So we can see then in our Bibles, in verses 1 to 7 of chapter 3, Peter is speaking to families. And he's saying, husbands and wives, you are to live God-honoring lives even in the privacy of your own homes. So this whole thing then is holistic. It's not just for out there, rather it's for in here. It's for in our own houses. It's even when no one else is looking, it's just you and your closest family, you're still even then called to live for Jesus, to be this holy nation that are set apart to serve God and to follow and honor Christ. So that's the flow then of these chapters building up then to verse 8. 
Now, in this section, Peter starts to talk about what this might actually look like. Verses 8 and 9, he says very practical things. Be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. So again, what we've got here is he's urging these believers to be different to the world around them. Where others are not doing the right things, they are to do the right things, to be godly, to be Christ-like. Don't just take the easy road and blend in with everyone else. He's saying you're followers of Christ, so imitate him. And we get the impression repeatedly here that this is the rule all of the time. It's not just occasionally. So even as someone is mistreating you, Peter says, don't repay evil with evil. Don't repay insult with insult. What a challenge this is for us, folks, because it's one thing, isn't it, to be loving and compassionate, to be patient, maybe, when you're with people who treat you well, when you're with your friends or your family who you love. But what about when you're with people who are harming you, when you're surrounded by enemies? You know, I often think Peter has obviously learned this from years, remember years of being with Jesus every single day, following Jesus wherever he went, watching time after time how he showed compassion, how he showed kindness, even often in the face of adversity. So one occasion that springs to my mind so quickly, remember in the garden, as Jesus is being arrested, the soldier comes to take him away, what does Peter do? He's standing right there. He, he draws the sword, doesn't he? He acts quickly without maybe thinking it through. He's angry. He wants to hurt. But Jesus says, no, no. He heals the man. He goes with him. Even as the enemy strikes, we repay not with evil, but with good. So Peter understands this is helpful. Peter understands how difficult this command is. But that's why he reminds us of our calling in verse 9. He says, For this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. He's trying to motivate us here. So the Lord wants us to live for Jesus because he knows that it's good for us in the long run. It keeps our minds fixed on the Father's forgiveness and so free from this guilt and shame that constantly weighs us down. It helps us run with perseverance and actually complete the race that is before us. And so we inherit this prize, this prize that awaits, the heavenly home where Jesus right now is preparing a place for us. That's our motivation. Now, a little later then, if you look towards verse 15, we see Peter come in with another command. And really, it's, it's two commands. Firstly, he says, in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ as Lord. So in verses eight and nine, 
he gave like specific examples of what it might look like to live a godly life in a pagan society. But now in verse 15, he goes to the more general command, in your hearts, set aside Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, folks, this is huge, and here's why. Anytime in the New Testament, when the writers talk about the heart, what they really mean is your whole being. So your mind, your body, your thinking, your attitude, even your soul, all encompassed by this phrase of your heart. It's everything. So essentially, Peter is asking here for us to give over the leadership of our entire lives to Jesus Christ. We've got to surrender the reins over to him. And that is tough. That is tough for us to do because we are sinners. Right to the very core. We love being in control. And you know, if we're honest here, we love sin. We love to rebel. And that's because we have hearts that crave it. That is the sinful nature of man. And that's why we need rescued by Jesus. We cannot escape that on our own. So with the Holy Spirit's help, we are to set apart Jesus as Lord. So what that might mean is, before we do anything in our lives, before we make a decision, before we start a new job, before we get married, before we move house, before we spend money, the question should be on our minds here, what does Jesus want for me in this? How can I honor my Lord, my King in this? Now, Peter then continues in verse 15 with a second command. He says, okay, set apart Jesus, then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone or anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, it's going to be helpful here for us to put all of this together and kind of look at the flow of it. So what we've seen so far, Peter is saying, if we as Christians are like-minded and we're sympathetic, if we love one another and we're filled, filled to the brim with compassion and we're humble while we do those things, and if, as we're being mistreated, we don't repay that evil with evil, and we don't repay that insult with insult, then it follows that it must be because we have chosen to set aside Jesus Christ as the Lord of our hearts. And then it also follows that as we do that, we will then stand out in this pagan society in which we live. And then it follows logically, if this is the case, people will start to wonder why. They'll start to ask questions like, why does your life look like this? Why are you living for Jesus rather than for yourself or for your career or for your family or whatever. Folks, this is really important to grasp 
The people around us who do not know Jesus, they might not be willing to read the Bible, but they will read our lives. So let me ask you this, and I'm asking myself here more than anyone, how does your life read? How do your words and your actions read to those around you? And remember, not just when we're out there, but when we're in our homes with our family, when we're with our friends. Peter is crystal clear here. If Jesus is Lord, if he is the true Lord of your whole life, then people will notice and they'll start to ask why. You know, there's a harsh side to the sort of the other side of the coin here. Dare I say, if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, you know, no one really ever asks me that kind of question, then could it be because people are not actually seeing anything different about how you live or how you speak? Could it be because really you haven't set apart Jesus Christ as Lord of your heart? I know this is a huge challenge for us. What happens next though here is that Peter is instructing us to have an answer prepared for anyone who then asks. For anyone who asks a question like, give me the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. And really there's two parts to this command here that Peter gives. Firstly, we're to always be prepared, the scout motto, always be prepared. And you know, this is like a continuous command in our lives that's always to be there. We ought to be ready at all times forever. And of course though, that takes effort on our part. So you can imagine if an athlete, this is an Olympic year, so imagine if an athlete that was training for the Olympics but actually was told all of a sudden, you know what, we're not going to tell you when the Olympics are going to start. We're just going to surprise you one day. We're going to lift up the phone and say, right, it's starting tomorrow and you'll just have to come and race. What should the athlete do if that was the case? Well, if they want to perform well or win, in fact, the race that they're in, there's only one option, and that is to train all the time and to be ready no matter when the phone call comes. They can't take a gamble and just think, yeah, I'll, I'll just train that one week in the hope that that's when it is. They train relentlessly. Folks, maybe that's the mindset we need in our Christian lives. So we work hard in our knowledge, in our understanding of the scriptures. We work hard then in those disciplines like the Bible reading that we do day in, day out. Like the prayer that we do day in, day out. Like the fellowship that we have with other believers that we do certainly on a Sunday and hopefully at other times as well. We surround ourselves with Jesus Christ each and every day so that we are ready. We're ready for the question that may well come. 
But secondly, then, Peter goes on, always be prepared, yes, to do what? To give an answer about the hope that you have in Jesus. Now, the word answer here in the, in the Greek text is actually a familiar word to us. It's the word apologia. And this is where we get the word apologetics from. You, you've maybe heard this word apologetics. It has nothing to do with saying sorry. And really what it means is giving a defense of your faith. Now, often the problem, though, for us is we feel inadequate, don't we? We feel like we just don't know enough. And so we almost fear any question that might come as if a question would come that would somehow just break apart our whole belief system and it would all unravel and we'd be exposed for not really knowing what we're talking about. But here's the thing, folks. Peter is not, not at all, suggesting here that you need to be an expert in biblical theology to answer this question. He's saying you need to be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you specifically about one thing, and that is the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. That's the thing that we should always be ready and eager to speak about. That's the topic that if someone brings it up, they're going to have a hard time shutting us up why? Because of the gospel. That's what we should be experts in, the gospel. We should be able to articulate how Jesus has transformed our hearts and saved our souls. We should be able to say things like, it's in Christ that we find hope that we're never actually alone. It's in Christ that we find hope that our prayers, the cries of our hearts are heard and answered. It's in Christ that we find hope that he has plans to prosper us, to give us a future. It's in Christ that we find hope that our lives are not meaningless or empty. It's in Christ that we find hope that we can know God and actually have relationship with him. It's in Christ that we find hope that we can be loved eternally and infinitely. It's in Christ we find hope that our sins will no longer be held against us and our mistakes, our messes, are forgiven. It's in Christ that we find hope that we're freed even from the burden of guilt and shame. It's in Christ that we find hope that death is not the end. It's in Christ that we find hope that nothing, no thing, can separate us from the love of our Heavenly Father. It's in Christ that we find hope that one day we will be totally free from sin and decay and sickness and worry and anxiety and fear. It's in Christ that we find hope that we have been given the right to become children of God. It's in Christ we find hope that we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus. 
Folks, it's in Christ that we find a hope that nothing in this world can even come close to competing with. What's the words of the great hymn by Edward Moat? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. He went to the cross and he went there to solve the biggest problem that each one of us faces in our whole lives. No matter the illnesses, no matter the loss that we face in life, yes, those things are huge and they weigh upon us, but the biggest problem that all of us will have is sin. And Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for that sin. He took the blame. And it means we are eternally forgiven. It means we have been counted as worthy. And it's all because of him. That's our hope. It's in Christ alone. Folks, let's endeavor then to do as Peter is saying. Let's set Christ apart in our hearts as Lord. And then as we live our lives and it looks like that, yes, we're going to make mistakes, but at times it looks like the love, the compassion, and so on, then when the questions inevitably come, and they will, let's be ready, let's be prepared to point people not to ourselves, no, but to the hope we find in Jesus because of what he has done for us on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that challenges us right to the very core. Lord, we pray this evening that you would be the Lord of our hearts. We don't want to put ourselves in that position. We don't want to put anything else or anyone else in that position. We long for Christ to be Lord of all. But we struggle, Lord. We struggle so much with sin. Father, forgive us. Forgive us that all too often we put ourselves as number one. Lord, help us to overflow in our love because actually it's your love coming first to us. And Lord, help us then to be ready as we live our lives for Christ, as we shine out like stars in this crooked and vile generation. Would you help us to be ready to point people to the hope we find in Jesus? Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming so willingly, so freely, and so lovingly and laying your life down on that cross that we might be forgiven. We know we don't deserve it. Lord, help us to be ready to shout this from the rooftops, that it's in Jesus we find hope for everything that is good. Encourage us us, we pray in his name. Amen.